Blog Talk Radio. Do you love uploading video to the web, but you can't stand those pesky ads that come with it? Well, go to blazingryradio.com and click on the banner for Vimeo. Vimeo loves your videos. Save and share your videos in beautiful HD with no disruptive ads. As a basic member, you can upload up to 500 megabytes of video per week for free. As a plus member, you can upload up to 5 gigs of video per week. And that is $59.95 per year. And if you want to go pro, you can upload up to 20 gigs of video per week for only $199 per year, billed annually. So, go ahead on over to blazonryradio.com, click on the banner for Vimeo, and get to uploading. Thank you for listening. BlazingRyeRadio.com Ugh. Shit. Weeks, are you there? Yo, mate. Yo, mate. Uh, hey, mate. Listen, mate. You, you sound like you are in a wind tunnel, mate. What's going on, mate? <laughs> I, I, uh, I sh- I, is this better? Yeah, it's better. I'll tell you what. Listen, there are so many things going wrong right now. Uh, so, so let me uh, let me put you on pause one second. Uh, start telling me every single detail of your day in 140 characters or more right now. All right. I, well, I was a little under the weather today, but uh, I had a really bad headache. I don't know. My left side of my brain or head felt like it was frozen. So I woke up. Took an Advil right away. Uh, took a shower. Went over uh, mowed on to work. It was it was a good morning. It was a slow morning. Uh, you know, got into the computer. Really uh, enjoyed uh, looking at my emails and uh, uh, talking to some people. I uh, you know had a uh, meeting at work. It was very fun. This meeting was really uh, not the usual meeting that I have. You know, but it was good. And. Um, you know, I just enjoyed it today, actually, despite my headache. My headache was terrible. It started from yesterday. I don't know why it would continue, even after sleeping. I think it's just exhaustion or whatnot, but I don't know. I have no idea. Headaches are strange, you know. Uh, doctors have no idea about headaches. They just say, oh, you got a headache. I mean, you know, there's something with your brain. I don't know what it is. It's like, uh, you know, your brain just doesn't want to function that day or something. You know, your brain needs a, a day off, too, you know. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I have plenty of stories regarding that, but none of them are. I'm realizing none of them are worth it. So um, the, the thing is, weeks that okay. Let me find out that I log in to do our show tonight, uh, like ten minutes before the show, and I'm making coffee in the other room, and then the the uh, I notice on the switchboard. There are no audio clips left, so that's why there was no intro music, so I couldn't find the intro song. I uploaded the, the a- advertisement for the start of the show, but I shit you not, the only clips left are, yeah. are Heller clips, bro. <laughs> He's possessing the show, bro. There's, there, there's two clips, Tamika introducing Heller, Tamika rock and roll laugh, and then Heller Goodnight. There's three Heller clips, bro. How does this happen? Why does the world happen to the audio?
like just sabotaged us? What is going on? <laughs> I, I think so. He he was mad because we were going to MatthewHeller.com, the the fartist guy that he hates. I knew we made a mistake the last show we did when we were started playing those Heller quotes. I was getting really, it was getting <laughs> eerie. It was like a fear, a fear that something wrong was going to happen. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I've been I've been really excited about this episode for a long time. And uh, right beforehand, holy shit, no intro music. Um, so we're going to have to do it ourselves. So uh, are are you ready to sing some Crystal Waters? I think so, yes. I'm, I'm ready, yes. Okay. And a one, and a two, and a three, and a four, and a five, and a six, and a seven, and a eight, and a nine. The great city playboy. They're always around. And they'll build your hopes up. And then knock you down. They'll leave you with nothing. Nothing. What singing about? No, you're not alone. I'm gonna make <laughs> this place my Thank you for that. Thank you. I think. I think that's gonna go down in history as one of the great uh, radio intros of all time. What we just did just now. I think that was incredible. I think that is. It's already in the record book. They wrote it up. It's done. It's done. What do you think about this uh, uh, Shebola virus that's going around? You don't have Shebola, do you? Oh, my God. The Shebola virus is uh, <laughs> really, it's going hard. I don't know what's going on over there. It's uh, taking Africa by storm. It's just, you know, killing thousands of people. We bring it over here. People are afraid out of their minds. And, uh, you know, but I think that doctor's doing all right, right? But I think it was one American died over there. So that's got me a little scared a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Why why are they going to bring the guy over to New York, too? That's where I fucking am, you know? (laughs) I know. (laughs) You don't want to get that Chipotle. You don't want to catch that. Ridiculous. Um, (laughs) Speaking of catching things, remember when I told you that I accidentally banged a homeless person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were doing well, your service to uh, society. That was good. That was good of you, though. Well, uh, everything came back negative. We're okay. Everything's good. I'm happy. fine. That's excellent. Uh, I feel less dirty than I did two weeks ago. Um, but have you ever heard of this application grinder for uh, homosexual men? And uh, some some tr- trans trans people like it too, apparently. I, I have heard of this app, yes. Well, I what I did was actually between Grinder and Tinder, and please don't think I'm a sleaze for this, but it was just I was getting sick of postponing everything, so I scheduled four dates in one night on Monday. Um, and oh my. Yeah, and I figured, you know, some something was bound to cancel. You know how when you schedule, like, three dates and three nights or whatever, or two dates and three nights, they're always bound to cancel. You know, these ladies, they always, uh, they're Yeah, it out. always happens. I, I even do this with friends sometimes. It's probably a terrible thing to do, but I do that, yes. I, you mm-hmm. know, because you know someone's going to cancel, or so it's just a bad yeah. day, or, yeah, something's going to happen. Right, so I, I scheduled these four dates, and I wound up canceling two of them. One was mad at me, then the other one thought I was mad at him, but whatever, fuck those guys. <laughs> And the the first one that I went on, 
from from the profile pic in our chats, it seemed like we were getting along, and then we met in person, uh, and we walk over to the park, Bryant Park, near where I uh, work, and we sit there, and it is the most awkward, like, uh, it seemed like it was about three hours, but I think it was probably 20 minutes, and there was all this, like, kind of uh, text, textual foreplay about making out in the park and all this stuff. But then we just wound up sitting there and, like, having the most awkward conversation. And, and then we got up, and uh, I said I had to go to the gym. And he was like, where's your gym bag? And I was like, back at the office. So I had to go back to the office. Uh, I really <laughs> did leave my gym bag at the office. But I left it there um, intentionally because I didn't want to be lugging around to four dates. So we go back to um, where the office is, and he goes... So I'm not one for beating around the bush, but uh, uh, wh- where do you where do you where do you want to take this? And I go what? And he said, <laughs> I don't want to beat around the bush. So I don't like beating around the bush. So where do you want to take this? And I said, I have no idea. And he goes, Okay, um, well I think that we don't have a lot in common, but <laughs> I wouldn't mind like a no strings attached type of thing. And I go, Well, we'll think about it. <laughs> and and I, I and he was like okay and he walked away and the worst part is he works in my building and uh it was uh, I mean hopefully I don't see the kid again but it was the worst date uh like ever and he was, he was so forward and he like apologized later he was like sorry I was so forward before that was so rude um but what do you think about that I think this really is Ford. Yeah, it's like, uh, what, what do you want? What do you want to do? You want to get do something? Yeah, it's just uh, uh, a little bit Ford. I would be put off by it too, and uh, I think you handled it correctly because uh, you know you don't want to offend them either, and you know, and uh, so I mean, it's I guess it's open ended. Is it over? It's completely over, right? Well, I hope so. I work in the same building, so I hope I don't see the dude again. Right, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, weeks. Our guest tonight wrote, directed, and starred in the film Summer of Blood, which recently premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. That's the big league, bro. Weeks, you know? Ooh. Tribeca, man. That's the big league. Please That's welcome right. actor, director, writer, owner, Tukel. Owner, how are you, sir? I'm good, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it, uh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Uh, what is going on in your life right now? What are you up to? Um, well, do I sound okay? Because, I, I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm really bad on the phone. I, I have a hard time talking on the phone. My best friends will call me, and I'll, for weeks I won't return their phone calls because I have anxiety when I'm on the phone. So I just want to make sure I sound okay and that everything is, okay, is cool. Is everything good? I mean, it sounds great. Sounds, yeah, it sounds good to me. Weeks, he sounds good to you, right? Yeah, it sounds great. Weeks, well, how are you? Good. How are you, owner? Good to be on the show. It's an honor, actually. So um, I'm nervous because also, too, I was on a show uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was on a podcast called mm-hmm. um, Doug Loves Movies by uh, Doug Benson. You, do you know the guy? It's a pretty popular podcast. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, I think so. And, and, and I don't listen to a lot of, um, you know, I don't, I'm not on the Internet a whole lot. I mean, I listen to a lot of music, and I, I'm a graphic designer. That's how I make my living. And I, and I was on the show because I was at a film festival, and I didn't really research the show, and I hadn't known what, you know, how big the audience was and how much of uh, a fan base that they have. And I ended up kind of making an ass of myself on the show. And I don't, I don't want to do the same thing here. So 
feel free to cut me off. And if I'm talking too much, I don't I don't want to like make this a bad experience for you know for the fans of the show and people who tune in and for people who may potentially tune in. So I'm constantly like you know stressing and freaked out about. I love the forum. I love the ability to be able to talk about things, but I also have yeah. the anxiety and, and the, about like I'm no, I'm a nobody. Why does anybody want to hear me speak? But at the oh. same time. I want to promote my movie and get it out there. So it's uh, so you have to do these things. And it's nice to be here, and I'll and I'll, and I'll stop rambling right now in that kind of context. <laughs> what, ha- what happened at the last? Well, why'd you make an ass of yourself? Um, I you know I did you know I I didn't know that he, that Doug Benson was such a force, such a comedic force. He also mm-hmm. had a a, a a a comedian on named Jeffrey Tate, who's they were so funny and they're so they've got so much energy and. I was asked to come on the show. I was just sitting in my hotel room, and they said, hey, do you want to come on the show in about two hours? We're at the, it was right before my screening of Summer of Blood at the Traverse City Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, why not? And I didn't want to be one of these guests who didn't have anything to say. And so I had a few drinks before I went on stage. Doug was uh-huh. backstage. He was having drinks, too. I think that's kind of his thing is to get a little bit, you know, a little bit loose. Uh, and t- you know, before he goes on stage. So, you know, when, when I was waiting, he went on stage. There was like 300, 400 people who had paid to see him, um, uh, to see his do, him sh- do his show. Oh they, were, they were huge fans. They were screaming. He was completely on fire. When I basically got there and sat down with the other guests, I kind of panicked, and I, like, had logaria, and I talked a lot, and I thought that's what I was supposed to do, not knowing – not knowing until later that nobody wants to hear what I have to say. They want to hear, like, Doug. They want to hear Jeff. And I feel like I felt bad because I wanted to have something to say, but I had nothing to say. Ultimately, no one cared what I had to say. So I got thrown off the show about an hour into it. It was, uh, it was bad. But, so anyway, I, 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 I'm probably doing the same thing right now. I'm just running my no. mouth way too much, you know. So it's a nervous habit that I have. I mean, it's, it's a common thing that people do. They talk a lot when they get nervous, you know. And I, yeah. So, but anyway, okay. But I'm well. I'm pretty well. I'm just, uh, you know, it's just it's, it's a kind of a depressing week with with Robin Williams and everything, sure. you know, dying yeah. and whatnot. And um, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm trying to get all the Summer of Blood business put away. We were lucky after Tribeca to get a distribution deal, and a, with that comes a lot of paperwork, a lot of contracts, a lot of uh, legalese, a lot of that kind of stuff. So I'm really bad about the business end of things, and it's just. It's stressful. I just want to get the film wrapped up, put away, and, and move on to another project, you know. And it's mm-hmm. so I'm, but, I, but I'm lucky that, I, that we're getting a distribution, and the movie's going to come out later this year. So that, that's kind of exciting. Although my expectations of it reaching an audience are small, you know. I, I don't have big expectations about, you know, when I was younger, I, I'm in my early 40s now. When I was in my late 20s, any, any movie that I made, I automatically assumed my life was going to change, that everybody sure. was going to see it. That I, and now, you know, I'm just... They're very muted expectations. There's so much product out there. There's so much film out there that's better than my films that will never see the light of day. So there's, there's, I'm humbled by that. Um, but at the same time, I want to get it out there. I'm proud of the movie. I think there's a lot of good work in the movie. There are a lot of great actors in the film, and I, and I, and I hopefully they'll get a chance. People will get a chance to see them, and you know, see, see the work that we did. I'm excited about it. That's awesome. Congratulations on the distribution deal. That's awesome. Uh, I weeks can attest to this that after watching Summer of Blood at Tribeca, I became uh, kind of obsessed with that movie. I love hipsters. I love vampires. I love Brooklyn. It was it was all the stuff that I loved in one film. And uh, like my friend Jason, uh, our mutual friend who's uh, in your movie. Um, yeah, Jason Selvig. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant yeah. actor. Yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. So he he's you know he once ate uh, cornflakes over my co-host John Weeks's head in Burbank, California. 
Oh, that sounds nice. What does he mean by that? Was he like on a balcony? Or was he just literally put the he put the cornflakes on Weeks' uh, the bowl on his head, balanced it, and ate? Give me a visual here. What, what are we talking Weeks, about? What happened here? there? Well, yeah. I was literally sleeping. I think I was dreaming, and I woke up and I this just cornflakes raining over my head, and I, it was Jason. He ran away. But <laughs> he was just, he was just eating them, or he was just throwing he was tossing them on you like so he was eating, eating like oh, above my head. You know, he, he could have been doing other things. It's good that they were just cornflakes that were coming down on top of you. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's very true. The first thing that pops in my head is the atomic sit-up. Have you ever heard of the atomic sit-up? I don't want to give no. it away, but what it was is that? a prank that like old school people would, would would play on each other. Old school bros and guys would play on each other. Back when I was like in high school and college. I don't want to give it away because I feel like it would. Well, it's. It, I mean, come on. I mean, it, it, it's basically you. It's. It, it, you tell someone. You find someone you want to play a joke on. You. You basically get a bunch of guys in on the joke, and you tell them, "Listen, the atomic sit-up is impossible. No one can do an atomic sit-up." To which the foil, the person will just say, "Hey, what is an atomic sit-up? I can do an atomic sit-up." And basically, you say you lie on your back on the floor, with your face covered. And you look straight up at the light. There's a light, light directly above you, and you're supposed to keep your eyes open with your face covered. Someone covers your face with like a towel or something. You're supposed to look directly up in the light. When, when, when I remove the towel, you looking directly at the light, you try as hard as you can to do a sit-up. Like you sit up as quickly as you can. And looking at the light, your body won't allow you to do that because there, there's something physically going on with the optic nerve or whatever. It sounds legitimate, of course. And then um, the person who's very confident they can do this, Lies on the back, you put the towel over their face. As soon as you jerk the towel away, the person comes up with as much force as possible, and someone is hovering over them with their pants down and their cracked spread. It's very juvenile, it's very disgusting, and you come up really hard, and your nose, if it's done correctly, goes directly into the other person's rectum. It's, uh, it's a broy, bullshit, frat joke, but like uh, I've had it done to me, we've done it to other people. <laughs> and, you know, the, 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 there's a range of emotions that go with it. You can laugh it off and be like, aha, that, but I've seen people cry after the attack because they're so, they're too Thank so, God like, for it's, it's, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's better than, it, but, you know, anyway, I, I've had, the, my brothers did the atomic stuff to me when I was young. It's the first thing that popped in my head, of course, is something scatological, which is, I'm ashamed because I'm in my early 40s. I should, I should grow up a little bit. I mean, Summer of Blood is about that, you know. It's about this, you know. And we've seen so many movies about man children who refuse mm-hmm. to grow up, and like mm-hmm. I feel like I, that's what the movie is about: is, is a reluctance to take responsibility for the fact that I'm getting older. Then maybe it is time to maybe settle down and get married or have a family and then have children, which means thinking about other people more than myself. So I'm constantly wrestling with this idea that I feel proud of the fact that, like, I've still got my boyish kind of, like, um, uh, you know, I've still got my childlike kind of splendor and curiosity, but at the same time, it's a little sad when I go to house parties now, and I'm the oldest guy at the party, you know what I mean? It's like, and, you know, and I feel like, you know, all people my age are at home with their kids, and I feel like there's, there's a sense of, like, I don't know, like, I'm, I'm refusing to grow up, a guilt about what I'm doing, but then I, on the other side, I think, I don't know. I, I don't. What, we maybe we've been conditioned to believe that we're supposed to. All of us. Are, not everyone is supposed to get married. Not everyone is supposed to have kids. So, mm-hmm. summer of blood is kind of this idea of wrestling between selfishness and not being selfish and trying not to feel too guilty about it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you had to weigh, I don't think there's anything morally wrong with being selfish. Um, but if you had to compare a life lived for yourself 
to a life lived for others, one is morally better than the other, I think. Living a selfless life where you think of other people is, I think, morally better. I think it could be argued, sure. but like, is a better way to live your life. I'm just... Mm-hmm. I don't know. If with, the, with that becomes a responsibility of working maybe a job that you don't want, having to make that much money. I like the fact that I'm a bachelor and I don't need that much money to survive, so thus I don't have to – I've got time to make movies. You know what I mean? I, I work my day job, which I'm, ha- I'm lucky to have, but at the end of the day I've got – I don't have to spend that much money to take care of myself, so I have time and energy to do creative things, which is why I came to New York, you know, four years ago, which is to, to, sure. to be, you know, to, to make things. So anyway, yeah. Now, now owner, but, uh, I just want, yeah. want to uh, set the record straight that this, this uh, before we move on, that this serial incident in Burbank, California, uh, was entirely Weeks's fault. It was in no way Jason's <laughs> fault. Weeks chose <laughs> to sleep on the kitchen floor when he, Jason and I used to <laughs> live together in L.A., and Weeks chose to sleep on the kitchen floor, so, you know, Jason eating the, the cereal over his head was, was, Weeks, it was your fault. That's right. I was asking for it. You don't sleep on someone's some kitchen floor and uh, not expect cornflakes to fall on your face. Yeah. <laughs> was you, were you intoxicated, or just was there a, a blow-up mattress in the kitchen floor? Was this something you preferred the cool linoleum of the floor? I like, preferred the coolness of the linoleum. I agree with that, yes. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I, I definitely slept on a, on, a, on a floor with no, with no, with nothing with my shirt off, knowing that it was cool on the floor. I've lied on the floor thinking I have the coolness on my back. It's refreshing. So, <laughs> that, was there any milk spilled on you? Did you get any milk on you, or is it just cornflakes? No, that's why I was – I think that's why I was disappointed. There was, you know, if you're going to throw cornflakes on somebody, at least put some milk on them, you know? At least <laughs> right. have the full preface there. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's awesome. I, I'm reminded of this terrible joke. It's so funny. You don't think of jokes. I mean, yeah, I'm reminded of a joke – a disgusting joke. That, I mean, I'm very obsessed with like. I mean, the movie is very bloody, and there's you know, you know, and I'm also writing a script now about body parts and like. And so, the, so the first thing that pops in my head about cornflakes in terms of jokes is like, there's a guy eating cornflakes at the dinner table, and uh, and his brother comes in and says, hey, hey, hey where's my uh, scab collection? My bowl of like scabs. I can't find them. And he really, you know, that, that, it's, it's a, a badly delivered joke. I'm really nervous. It's like a badly delivered joke. It's a much better written joke. But the idea of read, eating a bowl of scabs and you think oh. that's like pretty disgusting to me. By the way, I'm very nervous about we're doing this joke segment thing later. I, I, yeah. What am I supposed to do, just read the jokes that you sent me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, ex- or, exa- exactly. Unless you want to I, I, throw some in yourself if you want. No, no, no. I agree. You know, I just, I, I'm, you know, I just, I, I just want to make sure because you sent them to me. And have I given away something? I'm not giving away any kind of like secret about no. the fact that. No. Okay, no, gotcha. Do um, it every week. Yeah, I'm just—I've always been bad at telling, uh, with, with telling jokes. So I'm, you know, again, this is something else to be nervous about. But there's nothing to be nervous about. We're having fun. No. This is—it's all—it's yeah. all for fun, you know. All so, fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, I, uh, the Summer of Blood. Um, I I told weeks after I saw it on the show that uh, I love I loved the movie and I loved the talk back. Um, because you were just very, uh, I saw the Saturday showing at Tribeca, um, one of the, the, the final Saturday, you you were just, you seemed very awesome, no filter, very honest. And, um, I remember specifically that there was, uh, you said everyone, you know, ask me, ask me anything. You could ask anything. And some guys said, uh, well, I really liked this part of the movie. And you immediately cut him off and said, don't be sycophantic. 
And I was just wondering what <laughs> what that moment was about. I, uh, you know, it's funny. It's like uh, I, you know, I, I have a I have a hard time. Like, um, you know, people say, you know, be yourself. There's a, there's always contradiction. They say be yourself, but you know, because if you're yourself, then you know, then you you know, you can be authentic, and there's nothing to be yeah. afraid of. Like I, I, I am unfiltered. I don't really when I have to think about what I'm going to say, I tend to clam up, and I don't really say anything. And I like to kind of speak off the cuff now. I'm also extremely insecure, which is a common thing among, I think, all artists and all people. You put yourself out there. You put your work out there, and you're, and you're very nervous about what people are going to think. Um, so I tend to be very self-effacing, but at the same time, uh, my ego can get away from me if it's – I mean, everybody's ego can get away from them if they're not, in che- if they're not you put, you know, put in their place. And yeah. there's this sense of, like, being at Tribeca, and I was very happy to be there and excited to be there, but I also didn't want to let myself think, hey, this is that big of a deal, or I'm that big of a deal, or this is, like, more bigger than it actually is going to be. So for me, it was very important to, um, to hear criticism from the movie, because like, you don't – hear that all the time for a one-on-one mm-hmm. you get people trolling you you get people on the internet saying your movie sucks or you know but, yeah. but like to hear face-to-face criticism is good because I, I i think it makes you a better filmmaker or a better person to hear uh to hear criticism i wanted to be able to defend something that i didn't agree with or to be able to agree <laughs> with someone you know i mean when you make a film too i mean when you make when you do anything with a low budget anything even mm-hmm. with a high budget you have to make concessions and mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to apologize for anything. I just want to have a very, very honest conversation that I haven't heard before. To hear criticism from the audience would have been something new and unique from my perspective of doing Q&As. I, you know, it's nice to hear – one of the things I hate about Q&As is when someone comes on the air, when someone asks, before they ask a question, they, for three or four minutes, praise the movie about how much they like it. The audience isn't there to hear praise they want to hear i don't know what they i don't i want to get, i just want to hear something new i want to have a conversation i haven't had before and i want to be taken i want to be real and for someone to i don't know you know something i was i was probably just surly at the end of the day q a for me um you know it has to have energy and life and uh and, and, and you know i i don't know if i said that um i, I it's just because i was uh, wanting you know i, I wanted to take to take to, to, to the audience uh, to catch the audience off guard, maybe st- shake things up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't really know what I was kind of going for. Um, I, sometimes it's better to think through what you say before you say them, which is why I probably will get in trouble at some point. You know what I mean? But you know what's funny? It's like after, after, the Doug, after the Doug Benson show, it's funny. I can get face-to-face criticism, and I'm cool with that. I have no problem yeah. because every movie, everybody's films are subjective. Some people will love them. Some people will hate them. Some people will hate the Velvet Underground. Some people will love them. Everybody's got different tastes. You can't please everyone. I happen to think Velvet Underground's a great band, and but, you know, later Lou Reed's work wasn't the most exciting work to me, but, like, everybody's got an opinion. So I have no problem with face-to-face criticism. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. Um, what what makes me uncomfortable and what, what pisses me off, which I try not to get involved in, is trolling like after mm-hmm. i was on the doug benson show which is very popular i went to like some reddit feed and there were just so many people trashing me and i don't blame them if you're a fan <laughs> of the doug benson show of doug loves movie i ruined that particular episode i'm sure that i did but to read all these to read all these comments like you know what i mean all these people just tearing me down they don't even know me they're like this guy just sells like a dick and he's a he's an egomaniac and he's and he's completely erratic and ridiculous and he does it anytime could have shut me down, and he did shut me down, but it was his show. Like, I don't, you know, at any point, 
he he controlled the show, and I didn't. I wasn't. It's not like I talked for an hour over the, But here's the thing: reading those comments. I mean, you take them so personally. That's what makes me up. But like, and there's the and there's the and there's the impulse to want to respond back and say something negative back to them. And um, I just, you know, I just didn't take the bait. You know what I mean? It's just like I, I can't do that. Someone went to the Summer of Blood trailer on YouTube, and mm-hmm. there were two negative comments posted. Hey, I heard you on Doug Loves Movies. You're an asshole. I'll never watch your movie. You suck. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I never really had, I never had, had to deal with that before. And I'm like, Jesus, you just want to write back and say, you don't know me. You're a dick. And, but like, it's, have you read, ever read a book called um, The Mailman? It's, it's, an old, it's an old horror novel by Bentley Little that was written, I think, in the 80s or the 70s. or maybe, I don't know. It was written like maybe 20, 25 years ago before the Internet, 30 years ago or whatever. But I just read the book recently because I was trying to get some inspiration for low-budget horror films. I'm trying to read a lot of horror and a lot of noir right now. And the book's fascinating. I didn't like the book, but at the same time, it had some really interesting ideas which is it's about this evil mailman who is sending everyone in the town like horrible messages, like they're trying to turn the town against them. You know what I mean? Like, for example, yeah. Weeks, you would be sent a letter from Ryan that says, hey, Weeks, you're an asshole. I don't want you on the show anymore. And I, and I, and I, had, sex with, and I had sex with your wife. You're, they're trying to turn everybody against each other, right? And that's where the mailman was getting his power. The fact that mm-hmm. everybody was reading it and thinking negative thoughts towards each other, and they found out the way to stop this kind of evil mailman. No one knew. You know, he's some supernatural force. They couldn't kill him. He's a product of the devil. Whatever. He's supernatural. We don't care who he is or where he came from. It's the fact that seeing negative mail creates more negativity, and the way to stop him is to, to just not respond to the mail, to not read the mail, basically, yeah. and, and to not respond in a negative fashion. And I feel like that's the same way that these trolls get their power is like, they, I mean, this is not – everybody kind of knows this, but, you know, you say something out there, you say something negative, or Fox News or whatever says something negative about Robin Williams, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, uh-huh. in a way you think they do it intentionally because they know it's going to cause a storm, and the fact that people react to it, they would normally never listen to Fox News or, or Shepard Smith or whoever the guy was, you know, yep. who – you know, he's, he's one of the guys related to the segment that I'm going to talk – we're doing another segment later, right? And that's one of the guys yep. – right. it's, it's like – they get the power from that. They know, look, we're going to say something controversial knowing that the people that don't agree with us are going to respond to it anyway, and that's where the power comes from. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It's just like it, – anyway, it's just things that I was thinking about recently. I don't know why I went on that tangent. I apologize. Well, I can but, relate know. wholly to what yeah. you're saying because when, when I started the uh, Blaze and Rye Radio four years ago, we had a lot of soap opera uh, actors on the show, and uh, I – Everything, it was all like positive feedback. A lot of people were listening and stuff. And then I went on uh, Twitter because I interviewed my friend Jake who was on As the World Turns. And somebody on Twitter said, because uh, I was about to do a, a, an interview with one of Jake's castmates from As the World Turns. And some girl said, by the way, this is the same uh, guy who did that awful interview with, uh, with Jake. And then I looked on like Facebook and some guy said, uh, or some, somebody said, uh, they were like hot mess. This guy's an idiot about the the hot mess segment. Um, yeah. and and it was just very like uh, it was I was distraught at first because I wasn't used to like th- this kind of yeah. internet trolling. But then I wound up kind of like just as I was quoting like nice things people said about the show, I would also put a quote like this guy's an idiot. You know, just for yeah. just to kind of own it, I guess. But sure, sure, uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's it, it sucked at first though. 
Oh no, I'm sure. I mean, cause you, I don't know. It's, it's something no one you can't you can't place the the person or something. You don't know who it is. It's anonymous. There's something that yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's what where where the insult comes from. I feel like I've had people tell me directly it's funny because I do when I do my Q and A's. I do ask for criticism. I don't want people to hold back. And I've had lots of people. It's funny when I was in Paris, I showed the movie at a at a festival called Champs I don't I'm not pronouncing that correctly, but uh, a, a few weeks about a month ago, and I told people in the audience to you know let me know if they had criticisms. After one of the Q and A's, uh, a, a lovely girl and her mother came up to me and they said, "Can we have your autograph?" And they were so excited, and I gave them my autograph. I felt like I felt, I felt kind of stupid, but I did it. And then afterwards, they said, "Yeah, yeah, that, thank you so much. We didn't like the movie at all. We, we, no good. The movie wasn't good. But <laughs> thank you for the interview." And I'm like, "Well, what did, what did you not?" And it was, it was, it was awesome. Like it was like it didn't offend me at all because, of course, I could see people hating this movie and not liking this movie and not thinking that it's funny. Like, of course, on a given night, I could. I just I watched the movie uh, Albert Ferreira's uh, new movie called Welcome to New York. I just saw it at the Fantasia Fest. Uh, a few weeks ago in Montreal, about a week ago in Montreal, and Ab- Abel Ferrara, he's a really interesting, unique filmmaker, and seeing in the theater was fascinating, and it was very, very kind of slow and languid, but very, very gritty and raw and had amazing performances. But at times, you know, it seemed to drag a little bit, and I thought, I'm loving this movie right now. I'm in a theater watching it with, you know, 700 people. It's incredible. But I could see myself trying to watch it at midnight when I'm a little lethargic and not really getting through it and turning it off thinking, oh, fuck this. This isn't any good. I mean, like, on a given day, like, a movie will play well or it won't play well. And, I mean, who can take any of that stuff personally? But somehow when you read an anonymous comment that's negative or derisive, it's, it's incredible, like, the amount of – Got hurt. There's just so much. It's just hurting. Yeah. So um, it's funny too because I reviewed John Favreau's movie um, Chef yeah. for for mm-hmm. a, a website called The Talk House, and the movie is about kind of the same thing. It's about having to deal with negative criticism when you feel like it's unfair. And you know, it was very difficult for me as a filmmaker. The Talk House is basically the notion is filmmakers writing about film to get a perspective of like what filmmakers think of other people's films. And it's really difficult to criticize someone's film, you know, when you're a filmmaker, especially to write it down. So I come back to that thing and how difficult it was, because I didn't really like the movie, but I'd watched it, you know, in, in a press screening with a very small group of people. Had I seen it with a festival audience with 500 people, everyone laughing their asses off, the film would have played differently. So yeah. there are all these notions, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's rough. I mean, so like, uh, so are, is there, can people, this is stream, this is live right now or is this going to be streamed later or what's it's happening? Both. It's both. We're live right it's, now and okay. then it turns into a podcast a few minutes after. And then do people, so people do post comments and things, right? I mean, based on what they think about the show and, yeah, our our one listener will post comments sometimes. <laughs> right. Well, for four years, like, how, now for four, you started this four years ago, and yeah. uh, is it? Are you, you're you're from you live in Brooklyn, right? Oh, um, I I do. I live in Brooklyn. Yeah. And we have we we have, we have, we met we've met haven't we we met do we meet during Tribeca? We did not. No. Uh, this is boring. I don't want to talk. This is so bad. Anyway, so let's uh, let's get. Not, it's not boring to talk about when you started the show and like that kind of thing. So. <laughs> But you know, it's like you, know, so you don't have a you don't have a ton of listeners now. But like, you've got how many would you say? Three hundred, four hundred, two hundred, one hundred, fifty people. Yeah, I mean, yeah, probably uh, each show probably has an average of like two hundred listeners, uh, and then like there's some like big ones that have like I think our the highest listened to episode is with this guy named Michael Fairman, who's a big uh, soap guru out in Los Angeles, and that has like 
8,000 listens. So it kind of depends. Yeah, that's a, yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, absolutely. That's and you know, you're not gonna, if you were if it all depends on who you're talking to as well. You know, if you were talking to if you happen to interview Robin Williams last week, you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh-huh. there would be there'd be 100,000 people listening right now to your interview. So it's sure. like, yeah, that's me. And, and I so like Bismarcky, did you interview Bismarcky? I saw on your website yes. that he was a guest. Was that a pretty cool interview? Is he, is he pretty cool? It was super awkward, and let me tell you why. Uh he was um, doing a show, uh, Yo Gabba Gabba, the tour with my friend Lex, and that's kind of how we set up the interview because he was on tour with the Yo Gabba Gabba cast or whatever. And um, it, he, he was just kind of like, I think she was holding the phone to his ear, and he was kind of out of it. Um, but I will say that he, he asked me to beatbox for him, so I did, and then... He said, all right, let me show you what I got, and he completely schooled me, and that was a real highlight for me of the last four years. Like, <laughs> that, you know, that, that, being, yeah. So that wasn't awkward, and that was kind of amazing, right? Awkward in what way? Like, it was, it, how so? It was like I would ask questions, and he would go, huh? 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 <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so which, where, where are you based? Are you in Brooklyn as well, or are you calling from somewhere else? No, I'm calling from the great state of Vermont. Oh, right on. So, how, so you guys, you guys are all tight with Jason Selvig, or just like how did all you guys come to get together? Do you all go to school together, or what's the deal? I, I, well, I know to... Ryan uh, through what is it? Uh, since high school in Connecticut, right. we both went to the same kind of summer programs and uh, you know extracurricular activities programs. We were different schools, but we met up, and then I know Jason through Ryan. So, and that's Jason, cool. I, I know I, through Syracuse. We went to Syracuse. Together. Oh, right on. Well, that's great. That's fantastic. So, um, very, very cool. Yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I've got a couple of friends who are podcasters. Aaron, uh, Adam Shartoff, who does a podcast yeah. called Film Wax, and it's about he does about probably on a good day like 500 people listening, 400 people listening, but yeah. he gets huge people on the show, and it's just like you continue to eventually. You know, it, it's good. It, 200 listeners is great. 500 listeners is great. 50. If people are listening, then that's you're reaching people. You know. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, so when I go to a film festival and there's 50 people in the audience, I'm grateful just for anybody is actually actually bothered to come and like check out what I have to say. You know what I mean? It's it's exciting sure. and great. You know, <laughs> and there's also Aaron Hillis has a, a radio podcast, and and you, you know a guy named Scott uh, Rajowski. He's got um, no. running late with Scott Rajowski. He's got, it's kind of like a a live talk show in Brooklyn. Anyway, this is it, well, let's not talk about this. Let's go on to, <laughs> to the next thing. So, uh, <laughs> so but this is great. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, weeks. Uh, it's it's nine thirty eight. Do you know what time it is? <laughs> it's a hot mess awards. Hot mess awards. However, now owner, I was explaining to weeks before that that I I logged on to the my switchboard here and all of our audio clips are gone except for a few and they're all from uh, uh, speaking of awkward an interview that I had with uh, this musician named Matthew Heller. So rather than play the Hot Mess Awards theme, I'm just going to play one of these Heller clips uh, to introduce the Hot Mess Awards uh, segment. So, Weeks, do you, do you think that's a good idea? I think it's a phenomenal idea. Let's do it. Do it. All right. Here we go. Uh, give us a general synopsis of what your music style is like, if you can. It's like rock and roll, <laughs> generally. <laughs> Okay, it is the Hot Mess Awards with owner Tekel. Owner, who have you got for us tonight for the Hot Mess Awards? 
Okay, so I'm basically just supposed to find three people who this week have, like, done something that was kind of controversial or kind of, like, asshole-ish or something or, yeah, or wrong, right. basically. It's, it's basically subjective. Anything you think – some people are, are good hot messes and some people are, are messy hot messes, but it's up to you entirely. Right. I mean, like, you know, I mean, initially Robin Williams came to mind, not out of disrespect, but out of the fact that it's, it's horrible what happened, but, like, that would be – what I would rather do is, like, what Shepard Smith said – about Robin Williams from the Fox News commentary, basically calling him a coward. I thought that yeah. was kind of maybe worthy of, of that. And um, sure. but, but, you know, it, it, but also, I started thinking about it, and I thought to myself, it is a horrible, assholeish thing to say. But at the same time, um, not that I respect the fact that he said it, but I respect the fact that at least he was being authentic, even though Robin Williams had died. Like. Fox News doesn't like Robin Williams, and Robin Williams didn't like, you know, Robin Williams was very, he was very outspoken against the war in Iraq and against the Bush administration, which, you know, which, and so, like, why, of course they're going to say something negative about Robin Williams, because for them to praise him in the, after his death would have been, like, phony. So, in a way, even though I thought it was an assholeish thing to do, I respected the fact that at least they were being true to, to themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're not mm-hmm. fans of Robin Williams, so why should they act like, you know, and I'm sure they did pay their respect in other ways as well. I know that he eventually apologized, but at the same time, um, you know, calling him a coward, of course. I almost felt like going back to trolling, it might have been deliberate. Like they mm-hmm. did it because they knew that it would get controversy. They knew that people would talk about it. So they succeeded right. in that regard, you know? So Yeah. People are definitely talking about it. And who is your second hot mess? Okay. Um, and, again, I, I don't know the details about this. I tried to watch the video, and then I cut it off. I stopped it right before um, the guy got hit by the car. It's the Tony Stewart race car driver. Oh, yeah. Who the, he, am I being really – am I being a downer on this? Am I being way <laughs> too, like, no, it's okay. gal, don't macabre? But, I don't know, I mean, but there's he's the he's the race car driver right who uh, hit the other race car driver. Yeah. I guess it was on Saturday or Sunday. And I remember I, I, reading about it a little bit. That I I thought I would look at the video and I kind of watched it. And then I was like, I don't know if I want to see this. And I paused it right before the guy got hit, and I couldn't watch any further. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, why do I? I don't want to see this. Did you guys watch the video? Do you know? No, no, no I do not know. But I heard about it. Yeah. Um. So that's that. That was bad because you know there's that. I haven't been following the story, but it's a possibility that he meant to do it. Well, of course not. But when I was watching the video, the guy was right in the middle of the track. He was obviously pissed off and impassioned. He was passionate and, and angry. But uh, man, you just him running out in the track like that. That was it. Was it was terrifying. Anyway, yeah. um, I remember. Do you remember when the, there was the Duke NCAA tournament this past year, and that the guy had his leg snapped while playing basketball? Uh, Kevin Ware. Is that his name? I couldn't watch that video either, and I was yeah. so curious. As to, did you all end up seeing that video? I mean, yeah. I saw that. That was nasty. Yeah. You yeah. did see it, right? So, but yeah. I just, uh, yeah, I, I still can't bring myself to 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 watch it. Um, well, that just happened it, again, right, with uh, Paul George, the the same yeah. kind of thing. Paul George. Who is Paul George? Uh, NBA player for uh, who does he play for weeks? I forget. Uh, yeah. But he, but I just, he was like uh, up and coming NBA player, and then he, uh, he, he landed on his leg, and it, it, it snapped in a very similar way to Kevin Ware, and this just happened like last week. 
That's so. Oh man, that's, uh, was there a video of that as well? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Hey, are we supposed to be? Am I supposed to list these, and we're supposed to discuss them after? I just list them, and then we move on to the next. <laughs> I wasn't sure, like, if I was supposed to formulate some kind of. Am I supposed to go on like a monologue about why I chose these guys and like blah blah blah? Or are we supposed <laughs> to list them, and that's it. That, well, I mean, the I'm fact sorry, that I, there was no intro music has just thrown the whole thing off anyway. So it's whatever you do is right. Um, well, going, and, uh, back to Shepherd, going back to Shepard Smith, though, like the, the, yeah. the basic notion is like, okay, Ron Williams died, and it's great everyone's being so respectful to him, but like the mm-hmm. fact that Fox News isn't like – the fact that I respect that is the fact that you know, Robin Williams probably wasn't their most favorite person in the world. Like if Dick Cheney died tomorrow, I would be <laughs> – I would have a hard time saying anything nice about him because I don't yeah. particularly like the guy. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sit there and say, well, Shepard Smith, I, I don't want to throw that out there saying he's, you know, whatever. I mean, like, it, Robin Williams, say whatever you want. You know, he, it wasn't like Hollywood, they're saying how much they love him now, the fact that he's dead. It's not exactly like his career has been the mo- in blooming the last couple of years. You know, and I don't know how much Hollywood loved him you know, in the last few years, for them to all come, for there to be this sense of celebration of what a genius he was, which I love Ron Williams, and The Fisher King will go down as one of my favorite films of all time, and uh-huh. he, he, I just listened to the Mark Maron interview uh, of last night with, with Ron Williams, and he was incredible, but this sense of, like, there's something slightly unctuous about, like, this, this, this fact that they all appreciate him now that he's gone when yeah. there doesn't seem to be you know, anyway but so, so Tony Stewart horrible I feel bad for the guy who got hit and for Tony Stewart because whatever you want to say he, he, he may have been in the moment anyway okay and the other one is um, and I'm not following this either but again it's horrible it's very <laughs> tragic but it's the police officer who shot you know Michael Brown in Missouri um, sure. whoever that police officer is mm-hmm. that obviously is a uh, disgusting and horrible and, and, and vexing situation and it's even hard to talk about um and i don't really i'm not really following it but it's just um you know it obviously whoever that officer is that's it's a terrible situation for everybody involved we're so i'm dealing i brought up three people three dead people and three people who uh you know either said something about their death or caused their death and that's probably a downer <laughs> and we're about to re, we're about to read jokes after this, so uh, yes, I, I don't. But know. you know uh, what? It's it's a it, it was the right week. It's been a shitty week, so it's a. I think it's good that you know it's kind of like the big fucking elephant in the in the living room. I'm glad you. I'm glad it came up yeah. in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's good to. It's funny, I man. I don't I don't like to be reminded of all the horrible things. I try to avoid the news as much as possible. Um, but at the same time, you. When you hear about horrible things, it gives you perspective. It makes you feel lucky. It makes me feel, I mean, makes me just feel lucky that, you know, I'm still alive, basically. And I would, it's, I mean, but one shouldn't think about death all the time. But as you get older, I'm in my 40s, the more, every year now, I'm probably going to get more and more, I'm going to get more and more obsessed with death as I get closer to it. It's just absurd, you know? It's, yeah. Um, but anyway, what, let's, okay, let's move on. Jokes, okay. we should do jokes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a turn, as they say on the Today Show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with jokes, all right? Uh, weeks, are, are you lubed up? Ready to go? I'm ready to go. Ready to all back right. off here. We'll be right back with the joke off. Hey, looking for the right deal to spice up your love life? Well... Look no further than BlazingRyeRadio.com. Click on the banners for AdamEveToys.com. 
Once you're there, you'll find vibrators, dildos, women's sex toys, men's sex toys, male masturbators, anal sex toys, kinky bondage, strap-ons, and a few of these featured products at the moment. You got Adam's Extension, a pleasure enhancer, A&E Vibrating Silver Bullet 2.0, and the Adam and Eve Ball Buzzer Penis Ring. Just go to blazonryradio.com, click on the banners for Adam Eve Toys, and you'll find a good head kit for him, oral sex essentials kit, Adam and Eve deep throat gel, and passion packs for couples. Trust me, you and your partner will be getting busy in no time. BlazingRyeRadio.com. Woo! Okay. Uh, all right. So, uh, I, I, I left and peed and came back, and I was really worried I wasn't going to get back in time, but, but now I did. So, are you guys happy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I've got a plastic jug right beside of me. I, 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 was, I was prepared in case, you know, I had to go during the, during the thing. Something. Uh, our friend, our owner, our mutual friend, mine and Weeks' friend, uh, his name is Sonson Sumsensai, and we grew up with him in uh, Connecticut, and he said, uh, I have two two-liter bottles by my bed at night, one for water and one to piss in. And I said, <laughs> you know, it'd be funny if you ever got those two mixed up. And he said, I only <laughs> right. did that once, and I didn't realize it until I took a big gulp, and I was like, oh, this is nasty. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. That's really, that's All right, let's jack off, gentlemen. Uh, owner to Kel, kick us off. So I'm just supposed to read this. <laughs> yeah. And, and who who wrote the jokes? Did you guys like write these today, or did you get them from somewhere? <laughs> uh, I I wrote them. I, uh, oh, you just wrote that's good. That's good. Okay, but listen, I don't laugh. I never really laugh. I can think something's funny. But I don't laugh, so don't take offense if I don't laugh after I. It's okay. When I start, when I show a movie, usually if I make an introduction and I'm going to be in the audience, I tell people don't laugh because I'm going to be in the audience and I don't want you to sycophantically laugh because you know I'm listening. I like you know only laugh if you really. So okay, so here I go. A Philadelphia Archaeology Museum has found a 6,500-year-old human skeleton in its cellar. After she was discovered, the skeleton got back into making snide comments about celebrity fashion on E. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. So I don't, I don't quite get that job. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, is it like, I mean, like, okay, it doesn't matter, I guess. But it's, I mean, okay, but you just wrote these today, which is amazing. It's, it's, and I, everything goes over my head. I don't really understand a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> It, it it refers to Joan Rivers being a, an ancient skeleton. Oh, oh, Philly. Okay, got it. So it is a, it's supposed to be Joan Rivers. Right. Oh, okay. No, that's, that's a great joke. That's a, that's a really funny joke. That's great. Okay, okay, that's, okay right. Okay, got All you. right. An otter believed to be the one that attacked an eight-year-old boy was spotted in Pilchuck River, Washington. When reached for comment, the otter said, eight years old? I thought he was a twink. Because, you know, he's like twink, otter, bear. Okay, go ahead. 49-year-old Oklahoma school teacher Lori Ann Hill was spotted drunk and without pants on her first day of work at Wagoner High School Monday. In other words, a typical day in an Oklahoma high school. (laughs) 24-year-old unemployed British man Anthony Stollard was arrested and fined after pretending to be a ghost near mourners at a grave in England. 
Stalin was drunkenly throwing himself backwards, waving his arms about, and going, woo. When approached by the authorities, Stollard said, what? I'm just cheering on the mourners to complete their stages of grief. I really want to see who comes in first. The film Virgins Wanted debuts at the Chain NYC Film Festival tomorrow. If it's virgins they want, I think they've come to the wrong town. (laughs) A struggling South Korean baseball team has replaced humans with cheering robots at their stadium. The Hanwha Eagles have lost 400 times over the past five years. The only group humans approve of less is the United States Congress. Yeah. Who's next? Owner. Uh, owner, you're next. Owner, are you still there? Uh-oh. Where'd he go? Oh, he dropped off. Did he really? Shit, bro. I wonder if he was offended by that graveyard joke he told. happened weeks you know what um the, hold on i um i i realized that the i don't have any of the fucking javina clips so some of these sh- jokes aren't gonna make any fucking sense man hey yes i'm here about that sorry okay. about that no problem. no problem it's it's your joke sir uh which one are we on Okay, I was reading. Mom. Did you get to the Texas mom or what happened? Did you, did you me read it again? Yeah, we're on that one. Yeah. Yeah, you go ahead I and read it. I think it might have been appropriate. That I got cut off. I feel bad that I'm saying something bad about Brothers Pizza Express, but I guess it's okay, right there. I mean, okay. Texas mom Miranda <laughs> Sowers was thrown. Texas mom Miranda yeah. Sowers was thrown out of Brothers Pizza Express after she changed her baby's diaper at the table. Wait a minute. I've been to that place, and if you ask me, their pizza's pretty shitty. <laughs> I feel bad about that one because I feel like, you know, it's a, probably a small business and I don't want to say they're pizza shitty. I can eat pizza any time of any day. Like, I could be, I, I'm completely stuck from eating dinner. And if there yeah. was a, if someone delivered a pizza to me right now, I could eat a slice of pizza, like, even if I was completely stuffed. It wouldn't have to <laughs> Yeah. I, I I'm with a disclaimer. You, you do not subscribe to any of these comments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm just so, I'm so just impressed that you're able to bang these out so quickly. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Stand up? Do you do stand up, Ryan? Is that you? Obviously, I, do stand up, right? No, I cannot. I cannot imagine anything more mortifying than that. I have a lot of friends who do stand up, but I, I, I can't imagine anything scarier. Well, isn't that the reason to do it then? Like because you know, just to shake things up. If you're scared to go out there and try it, or is that not the case? Um, you know, I, I, I do other things. I'm scared of uh, unprotected sex, that sort of stuff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oh um, yeah, for sure. Okay, so weeks. This this is not this joke because my audio clips are gone. Owner, this joke won't make any sense. So that's just a disclaimer for this one. Here we go. Okay, yeah. okay. A team of bioengineers at the University of Washington has developed HIV preventing tampons. Women, you must be very careful if you're going to use these tampons as your sole means of protection. Please do not listen to this lady. So what was, that, what was the audio clip? What was the thing you were going to play? Um, it's it's this prank call uh, from this show called Friday Night Cranks, another podcast, 
and this kid in California, Jared, uh, crank called this lady who was at like a tampon uh, customer service line, and um, she, and he kept asking her like, where does he put the tampon and stuff, and she she said you put it like right up 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 your javina, and she kept saying javina, and she said put it up the front of your butt, and all this these hilarious clips that I'm ruining by describing now. Um, but he, it, it, it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. So yeah, check that out. FridayNightCranks.com. Amazing. So are you supposed to wear the tampon, um, when, when you're having your period or just like, you're just supposed to put it in when you're having sex. It's not a, t- it's just like, it's like a female condom, right? Or something. Or what, what is this? Like, I think it has, <laughs> I think it has HIV prevent medicine in it so I'm not really sure I don't know if you wear it all the time and it soaks up the medicine up in, in the cooch because you gotta think because you gotta think about this if you're having if you're on your period and you would that's when you, that's the absolute time where you'd want to have protected sex because that's when the chances are increased for getting HIV is that there's blood being passed from back and yeah. forth you know so it's funny it's like so calling it a tampon even if you're supposed to wear it any time, it's just weird to me that they would call it an HIV-preventing tampon. It's strange. Yeah. Anyway, it, I wish there was, it's, it's, it's difficult to talk about these things when there's not a woman on the air, you know what I mean? I always feel slightly like like a jerk having comments about, you know. I, <laughs> okay, so anyway, yeah, but that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Former NSA analyst and frequent Edward Snowden critic John Schindler resigned from his post at the Naval War College after a picture of his penis was leaked on Twitter. The dick pic was actually meant to be used during a producer's meeting for John's newest film, Schindler's Dick. Um, In an interview this week, Kiss bassist Gene Simmons criticized immigrants' reluctance to learn English after coming to America. He said, learn goddamn English. It is the key that will unlock the keys to the kingdom. To which the interview asked, and when are you planning to learn goddamn English? (laughs) UK-based company Bondara has introduced a prototype of a vibrating cock ring called SexFit that provides users with information about calories burned during intercourse and thrusts per minute, making it the first time in history burning during intercourse is good. (laughs) Uh, Roach... Uh, Roach, Missouri, church leader Gerald King was fired after being arrested for trying to arrange a sexual encounter with a dog. After the dog was through with the ordeal, she went back to making snide fashion comments <laughs> on E. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> a couple died in Portugal over the weekend while trying to take a selfie on a cliff. Now, if you ask me, they really went over the line on that one. Kim Kardashian said that her brother Rob missing her wedding because he had missed her wedding because he had a flight back to France before the wedding began. Kim said he's also planning on missing the divorce. (laughs) (laughs) A North Carolina woman found a swastika drawn on her big chicken bun. McDonald's spokesman said, we do not tolerate that kind of behavior at McDonald's, and it's not what we stand for personally as owners. What we stand for is giving people diabetes and causing early heart attacks. (laughs) Hashtag happy meal forever. (laughs) 
A 50-year-old British man died earlier this year after a vibrator became stuck in his rectum. <laughs> Nigel Willis, who was unemployed and lived with his elderly mother, was rushed to Lewisham Hospital on December 30th, 2013, after the sex toy got stuck inside him for five days. The issue was that he listened to the lady and put the toy up the front of his butt. <laughs> the front of his butt. <clears throat> I don't get that front of it. Listen, I am so I, things go over my head constantly. Listen, to at the front of his butt. What does that mean? I wish we had the clips. If we had the clips, it would make sense. That's why these some of these jokes don't make any sense because oh, there's no audio. Oh, 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 gotcha, gotcha. Detroit <laughs> man Roger Bowling is now charged with first degree murder after he killed a Detroit area couple and dumped their body parts into the Detroit River. When questioned, Bowling asked, well, what did you want me to do? Push them off a cliff while they were taking a selfie? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think, Owner, that was incredible for your first joke off. What do you that think? Was, that was a great job. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, these are, I mean, I'm sorry. I don't, I mean, I don't laugh uh, you normally, but I appreciate, like, the jokes. I mean, the, the fact that you, you know, I, you know, I, I, very, I appreciate the humor of them, and, and, and it was fun to read them. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're great. Sure. You know, but I'm reminded, uh, I think it's, you're supposed to, you know, laughing is good. It adds to it. It's like you're supposed to laugh. But did you ever see, there's a great French uh, movie called Ridicule that was made probably in the mid-90s. And it's a really amazing movie, but it's about kind of using wit to get close to the king, like, the, I guess, 17th, 16th century kings of, of France or seven, King Louis. When was King Louis? Like, was that 17th century, 18th century? Or was that before that? Weeks. I think it was, I think it was before. Okay, I, I'm really bad with history, but they're trying to get close to arist aristocracy, the, the, the actual to the actual government, but you know, whatnot in, in France. They use wit, so people come in and they're funny and they're witty. But one of the rules in the movie, and it, it's like hit on uh, throughout the movie, is never laugh at your own joke. You know, which is impossible to do. You're, you're, you know, it's like you know, it's like when they would say a joke, it's like don't laugh. You know, other people laugh, but don't laugh. But when you don't have an audience for them to laugh, you have to laugh at your own joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or because right. it falls flat. So I'm not criticizing you all. That's just the first thing that popped <laughs> in my head. And again, I have no filter. But these are uh, this is fun. These are great jokes. These are great jokes. So you just like research some of the stuff, found audio clips to kind of help, you know, uh, you know to, uh, to augment the joke itself. I guess right. That's kind of what it was. And yeah, yeah. Speaking <laughs> of, we have no outro for the joke off tonight. So I'll play another clip from the. The Heller uh, here. Uh, we'll do this one. Do. Thank you so much for, for coming on. The new album is Invitation. Uh, HellerMusic.com, Matthew Heller1 on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining the program, sir. Thank you, Blazing Ray. <laughs> All right. Um, now, uh, <laughs> owner. The, is, Heller, the, is, Ma is Matthew Heller, is he pretty good? Is he a good musician? Is he good stuff? Oh, he's great. Yeah, okay, cool. That's cool. <laughs> Are you guys being sarcastic now, or what's the deal? I don't know. I, I, I don't remember his music very much. I, I remember it not being bad. I remember his his personality being horrific, but I don't remember his music being bad. Um, I'll play one more clip from the Heller thing and, and see. All right, our next guest, uh, his new album is called Invitation. Please welcome to the program, Matthew Heller. And the applause is... Hey, Blaze and Ray. Um, 
<laughs> Jesus, weeks are, are you're having a stroke over there? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, owner, the film Summer of Blood. What made you make it in the first place? Um, I've, been, I've made several independent kind of comedies and whatnot, and I wanted to make something that was more genre based, like horror based, mm-hmm. in order to maybe like. It's you know, genre films you can kind of sell. There's no movie stars in the movie. There's no recognizable actors. But you can still make low-budget horror films that kind of make money. Um, yeah. Not that I was completely motivated by money. I'm not motivated by money. But at the same time, I want to find a way to make a little bit of money in this industry so that we can whatever, you know. You've got to be able to make money at some point. You, hopefully you've got to be able to. So yeah. I wanted to make something that was kind of independent, had the independent sensibilities of, of, of films that I love and make something that was genre-based. And you can make a vampire film uh, pretty cheaply, and people will buy into it. And because it's mm-hmm. a low-budget horror film, it doesn't have to be Citizen Kane. It can be, you know, it can be kind of gritty and kind of raw, which it is. Um, and mm-hmm. so that was the reason why. And I wanted to make a horror film, and I wanted to make something based on something I'm afraid of, something I'm scared of. And I wanted to be unconventional because it's a, a, a low-budget horror film, so we wanted to be kind of original. So I, my mm-hmm. biggest fear at this age is, at, at any age, has always been kind of commitment and marriage. Oh, I thought you were going to say vampires. I mean? yeah. No, no. It's like it's, it's, to me, the, the, the word vampire is never expressed in the movie. And like, yeah. as I talk to the distributors, we want to make sure that we sell it as a, as a comedy first that also mm-hmm. happens to be a vampire film as opposed to the right. opposite, which is, a vampire film that happens to be a comedy. I mean, I, I think I'm pleased because horror film fans, at least some of the bigger, some of, some of the outlets, like online outlets, like bloodydisgusting.com and Dread Central, they kind of like it and they're into it, you know? Are you, why, uh-huh. You're laughing because that, why is, the, why is that laugh? Why are you laughing about that? Bloodydisgusting.com? What is that? It's just it's a website for horror junkies and horror fanatics, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, people who really like, and they, you know, they've given us, you know, they like the movie and like, we've gotten a lot of press from a lot of different, horror film websites that say that they like the film. So it satisfies, I think, horror film lovers, and definitely I think people who mm-hmm. like comedy will like it. Um, what surprised me during yeah. Tribeca were how many younger women, you know, mid-20s, late-20s, early-20s, who really responded to the film, because I didn't think that audience would respond to it. I thought it would be people in their late 30s, early 40s, who, sure. who like humor, like, you know, old-school humor like I like. But a lot of um, a lot of people that I didn't expect it would like it really liked it. So. So, yeah, yeah, so that's, I'm pleased with it, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Weeks, I hear you chomping at the bit over there to ask a question. Yeah, I have uh, two questions. Um, owner, thanks for doing the show. And, uh, I, oh, thanks, you, yeah. Thank you. And could you explain, like, you know, producing and directing movies like, you know, Summer of Blood to, uh, you know, and Dingling Less, I guess, you know, if, uh, if I'm mistaken, I apologize for pronouncing that wrong. But, no, that's and, yeah, perfect. To, to being an author of pretty popular children's books. I, I saw it on, uh, I was reading about Amazon, and the comments are all highly positive. So I was just I was wondering, you know, there's, a, there's kind of a dichotomy between the two, you know, where you're, you're dealing with adult themes and blood murder, you know, people's uh, ego and, and psychology to, you know, children's books, which are I, I saw based on comments, there's a lot of themes of working together, of kind of learning from each other between groups of people and kids and whatnot, and animals and things like that. I don't. Before, first of all, I mean, not to be. I, I don't trust those comments. You know what I mean? Like, I uh, not. I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. But like, I my, a, co- a company called Marshall Cavendish put out my first book, 
And then um, they had the uh, they they bought my second book, Rainstack. My first book, Little Friends, and my second book, Rainstack. Book Rainstack. I'm excited to be a children's book writer as well as a low budget filmmaker. You know what I mean? It's it's really nice mm-hmm. to get an advance advance from a from a product, from an actual publisher and to get paid to do a book. It's amazing enough mm-hmm. to pay the rent for a few months. Um, but then uh, when my book, my second book got got bought, um, Amazon started a children's book line and they bought the, the company that, that bought my books. And Amazon released the books, and all, and you know, not to be like I said, ungrateful or an ingrate. Um, you know, bookstores don't like Amazon; they can't stand Amazon. You know what I mean? Because Amazon basically wants to just swallow everyone up. So right. I don't trust. The, I don't trust those comments, and I don't trust that. You know, they, out of the blue, there were no comments, and then one day there was like 15 comments, and they were all positive. You know what I mean? And right. I just it, 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 I, that book. They did. They didn't promote the book. That book. Um, that book's not been reviewed anywhere. I mean, anybody that's bought the book, I it was probably just friends of mine who were supporting me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I got treated badly or unfairly. They paid me money to write the book. I feel good. I'm proud of the books. They got the book. The books are out there. You can order them. But, you know, I, I, they're not successful. And, uh, again, comments on the Internet. That's, uh, anyway, but to go, to go to your point, it's nice, you know, it's um, – I made film. I made five or six films in in, in 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 North Carolina, and then I lost my confidence. I made a really bad movie called The Pigs, and I lost my confidence. And you can't make movies without being confident. You can't really do anything where you express yourself. You can't do a podcast. You can't paint. You can't play music if you don't have confidence in expressing yourself. So I got out of the film game for several years, and I thought, well, I'll do. Uh, I'll try to do children's books because I've always been able to draw decently well. I used to storyboard all my films out when I cared more about visuals. Now I care more about performance as opposed to visuals. I mean, you know, if you've seen Summer of Blood, weeks you've seen it, right? So it's not the most visual movie in the world. It's it's more based mm-hmm. on performance. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought, well, let me let me. You know, I'm tired of losing people's money in the film world. I don't have the confidence to do it anymore. And I thought, let me find an outlet where I can kind of tell stories visually and not spend any money. Um, you know, right? Making children's books is infinitely less fun than making a film because you know you're by yourself. It's very lonely. Um, you know, but making a film is so, it's so collaborative and terrific. I mean, to be able to work with a group of people, it, it's beautiful. Um, so, but at the same time, I'm also I like my isolation. And I like to work. I like to I like to be by myself as well. So it's nice. And you know, I, I feel like I'm a generally sweet, cool, uh, sweet person that has a very um, sweet, caring side to me. Um, but I'm also have a dark side. I think a lot of we all have the tendency to have both worlds. Everybody has the capacity to do bad things, evil things. Again, you know, you talk about trolling and negativity. Negativity begets more negativity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's, so I, uh, it's nice to be able to juggle both worlds. Um, I just feel lucky that uh, I have the, I mean, I mean, you know, I think anybody at the end of the day, you had a gun to your head. We've all been drawing pictures since in, the, in kindergarten. We all had the ability to, we, all, we, all, we were encouraged to express ourselves and draw and create. And some people had better technical skill than others, but at the same time, I don't, I don't have the patience, or I'm not a very good technical um, illustrator. But you know, you hone a skill, you hone a, a style over several years, and I've gotten a style that I'm comfortable with, that I'm confident with. And I, you know, I still, I don't draw very well, but I have a particular style that I really like. Uh, a couple of uh, artists who I always loved was um, an illustrator named Jules Pfeiffer, who, who wrote for the Village Voice for several years. He's he's mm-hmm. he, he's terrific. He's amazing, and he's written children's books. But he's not. He always had a very loose kind of stroke. He had a very simple kind of drawing style, but it was very loose. 
And, you know, if it's very stylistic, when you see his work, you think immediately that's, that's Jules Pfeiffer, as opposed to someone like Will Eisner, who was just technically brilliant. His, and his strokes were so precise, and he could draw, you know, backgrounds and furniture and, and, and interiors so well and so beautifully. Like, I never would have the patience for that. But the bottom line is, um, <laughs> I... Well, one of the as I get older, I think to myself, maybe I'll never be successful. Maybe I'll never make money at this game. But what I hope to do is never lose the desire to keep creating, whether it's cool. um, children's books, whether it's films, whether it's maybe playing music. I mean, I, I play music. I, I, I'm not, I would never call myself a musician, but the idea of doing something with music one day, not not to be have grandiose delusions about becoming something, but just because – it's a creative, fun outlet to express yourself in. Like, I just hope I never lose the desire to do that. I hope I, I, hope I don't lose my mind, obviously. I hope I don't get Parkinson's where my hands shake or my or, or Alzheimer's where my brain doesn't function. But more than that, it's like the desire to keep creating because it, it brings me happiness. I've been I – get, I get through periods of depression like a lot of people do, but ultimately when I'm writing or creating, like, I come out of that funk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I read this great book years ago – by a writer named Eric Wilson who lives in North Carolina. He wrote this great book called Against Happiness. And it's kind of, on the surface, it sounds like, what does that mean, against happiness? Who doesn't want to be happy? Of course, we all want to be happy. But at the same time, it's mainly a book about acknowledging that we're not always going to be happy all the time. And in America, the quick remedy is to medicate yourself when really – for, you know, and if you have a physiological imbalance and you may need you know, psychotropic drugs to pre- prevent yourself from committing suicide or whatever, yes, he's saying, of course, you need to take medication. But for most people, don't medicate. You can use depression or melancholy as a source for other things. And in the case of the artist, melancholy is like a source of creation. You can use it to your benefit. This book really kind of changed my life because um, when I read it, I was going through a very sad period, and it kind of gives you permission to be sad, and it also makes you realize, and you could be rationalizing, but you could, you could say, look, I'm sad. I do consider myself like I, someone who is creative. This is when you're supposed to create, when you're sad. And, and, and creation brings me out of the funk, the depression. Not to sound self-important, not that I think that my work is any good, not that I think that my work's ever going to get anywhere, but at the same time, like, without it, my life would be very empty, you know? So... I went on sure. a tangent here. Um, it, it's very nice. It, 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 I think we're all, you know, I feel like a child a lot of times. Uh, my mother always had a childlike wonder, even though she's in her 60s. She's still very playful and silly and fun. Uh, and, and, like, I don't want to lose that. And I think having telling children's story, it, stories is a way to be connected to that youthfulness. Also, too, you know, if you're, if you're an independent film, if you're a low-budget filmmaker, you are limited with the, the worlds that you can create. You know what I mean? Like, you only have enough money Oftentimes you have to be creative in ways you never thought of because you don't have the money to pull something off. But I can't just imagine anything and say, oh, it's going to be in a film because I, have to, I, can't, I can't do a banquet scene or a ballroom scene where there's a thousand people dancing in a ballroom because I'm never going to have the money to pull that off. But, you know, with the children's book, I don't need any money. I've got, you know, it's, it's all paper. Whatever I can draw with my hands or devise with my mind is what I can come up with, which is, it's completely liberating. It's extremely exciting to be able to jump into both worlds, you know? I'm not yeah. saying I'm good at it. I would never – I would never um, – I've been making independent low-budget films a lot longer than I've been doing children's books. But for five years, I, I, I probably did seven or eight books that never got published, 
and it was really exciting to be able to make a move, uh, to make a book in six months. They weren't very good, especially my early ones. And I'm not saying my my ones that were published are that good, but over the course of, of five years to do eight or seven or eight books and get a book done in six months when it takes um, it takes two years to make a movie or year year and a half two years. It's extremely exciting to be able to finish something and think, okay, this book isn't published, but at least it's it's done. It's good, and mm-hmm. oh, that's exciting to me. You know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you, you guys, are you guys musicians yourselves, or like, you play music, or, or song, or do songs, or anything, or any 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 outlet besides this, besides the radio? Yeah, I play uh, guitar and piano, and Weeks plays the. What do you play, the oboe? <laughs> the oboe? No, I don't. <laughs> I, I'm not a musician in any form or fashion. No, my mistake. But Ryan said, do you write songs? You do write songs, then, right? Uh, yeah, I haven't written one in a long time, but but I I have written some. But there, I don't know. For, I, mean, I went through a period briefly for about you know six months where I wrote probably twenty or thirty songs. And again, this was about the time that I was reading Against Happiness. And mm-hmm. for me, it was it was so it was just such a um, it was so therapeutic to be able to, to to get songs out. You know, in this period where I was very yeah. sad. Again, I'm yeah. not saying the songs were good. I'm not saying they're worth listening to. But just this idea of doing something useful with your melancholy, just doing something useful in general. A friend of mine named Matt Hoffman, I remember when we both started playing guitar at the same time, mm-hmm. he put it so beautifully one day. Like Years later, he said, you know, Warner, just sitting around noodling on the guitar for 45 minutes, it, it makes time so much more meaningful than if I were just sitting around watching TV or doing nothing, right. just to be able to create music. And to me, it's just very, you know, I, I love the creative process. It's so funny. We spend so much, I don't want to get political, but we spend so much money on defense in this country, obviously, but, and we spend so little money promoting the arts when it feels like we should we should give tax breaks to artists we should like if every if we if we made like if everybody in the country like got a tax break for writing a song or writing a story like i think it would make america a better place because everybody has the ability to be creative then they just and when you do that you i think it just opens up something inside of you that makes you more generous more compassionate there's a conduit there it's a mm-hmm. conduit to something bigger you know not to get too right. self-important about it but it's I don't know, to me it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's important in my life. You know, I came to New York four years ago to be part of like this magical city where there so many people come here to create and express themselves. And, you know, I've been so inspired since I've been here, you know, it's, and I continue to be. You know, and talking to somebody, to be on to this show, which is great to talk to incredibly intelligent people who are creative and excited and, you know, it, basically just relishing the human experience and, and the cultural mayhem and madness and, and debauched world that we live in, mocking it all, but also celebrating it is, is really terrific, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Weeks, did you have a se- you had a second question? I did, yeah. I, um, well, you know, this is just from a general moviegoer and, and, and to somebody who likes movies, and I especially like uh, the horror uh, genre. So, you know, I just want to get your opinion on the, you know, like a commentary on the core, uh, horror genre and movie industry now. Um, you know, it's. I, I feel. You know, my my opinion. I just feel like it's become. It's been a rough kind of like last decade for horror. I think, especially mm-hmm. in you know, mass mass uh, movie theaters and you know movies coming out and whatnot. It's you know I can't really name so many good horror films. You know, and I think the eighties and seventies were pretty much the big big time for horror or whatnot. And it's just my opinion. And uh, I, I uh, a lot of people now. You ask them what their favorite movies are. They all they say superhero movies. They say uh, you know whatever's out in the theaters now. Horror, I think, has suffered greatly, and um, I, I don't know what why that is. And if you have that opinion, or if you agree or disagree, and um, you know, well, I, any I, I, yeah, 
Yeah. Go ahead. Well, how, so are you my age or are you younger? I'm mean, guessing you guys I'm, are your uh, I'm, 20. I'm 31. 31, right. And I guess you, so Jason, everybody's about the same age, right? Ryan, you're the same age. Jason, yeah, so big. Everybody's like, like, yeah, 31. Yeah, we're all so I'm about 31. 10 years older. Yeah, so I mean, like, so when I, you know, I grew up watching like low budget, trashy horror films in the 80s, you know, when they were the Friday the 13th movies. And all the mm-hmm. sla- I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm born and raised on slasher films. My friends and I would get yep. together and watch them, and we would laugh and make fun of them, and we would have a blast. And they were more, it was more a source for us to mock it. But at the same time, horror films scared the shit out of me. You know, in the late 70s, watching Halloween as a, as a 9-year-old or 10-year-old scared the shit out of me. You know, watching The Exorcist mm-hmm. still scares the shit out of me. But, you know, mm-hmm. after, you know, you, I, I grow up, and, you know, and then and when I got to college, all those, Low-budget horror films were replaced by independent films. Like, I guess when you were in the 90s, that's when you were a teenager. You guys were teenagers when I was in college. So mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys were watching in your teens, but when I was in college, I discovered the world of independent film at the time. There was uh, Jim Jarmusch and, you know, Kevin Smith mm-hmm. and, and Spike Lee. They were all kind of doing their thing, Richard Linklater and Whit Stillman, and, and, I, and I discovered Woody Allen movies. So I had – so in a way, some are a bunch of good – this is all going to become circular. Hopefully I won't – Talk, talk too much in circles, but uh, Summer of Blood was kind of this idea of taking all the movies that I loved in the early 80s, all the horror films and trashy low-budget horror films I loved in the 80s, and my love for like dialogue-driven movies like Woody Allen, Neil Butte, Richard Linklater that I discovered in the 90s and up until now, and kind of merging them. You know what I mean? Um, I don't, I haven't really been tuned into horror film a lot in the last decade, so I can't speak to, I can speak to what's popular, like, you know, when I was growing up, we had, there were eight there were nine Friday the 13th movies. There were seven or eight Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger movies. There were four or five Halloween films. And I would go to the movie theater to see them on opening night. Now, right. I think that's been, that's been replaced by, like, the Saw movies and the ho- Hostel films, which mm-hmm. I, I tried to watch them, but I just you know, it was a different thing for me. I felt like there was something mean-spirited about them as opposed to right. humorous and silly. Um, and the humor wasn't really there. And for me, horror and humor kind of go hand in hand, and I felt like there wasn't the sense of humor that I really loved. So I haven't really watched a lot of horror, so I can't really speak to what I think is, has, has changed. I do know this. In my 40s, I'm rarely surprised by things that are new anymore because I've, obviously I've seen, you know, when you're younger, you watch a movie, and it's a new experience. So if it's new, you can't compare it to anything that came before. And because I've got a long lexicon of movies that I've seen, you see something and you just compare it to films that you've seen before that it reminds you of that you like more. So it's harder to be, it's harder to be pleased by a film because I feel like I've already seen this. Or there's, it's written with cliche and it's not doing anything new. It's just doing what's familiar. Because, right. I mean, you know, so... And I mean, maybe Saw and Hostel are new. Maybe, I mean, people could argue, you don't know what you're talking about. But I just didn't connect to that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I saw, I did see a movie called The Conjuring. It was a big mm-hmm. Hollywood film, you know, with, uh, you know, the movie I'm talking about, like the ghost yeah. story, kind of. Yeah. And yeah, that movie, I thought cool. that movie, I thought that movie was fucking brilliant. That movie scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I saw right. my friend Clifford. You know what I mean? And I, but I just don't give horror films much of a chance these days. I, uh, you know, I tried to, I put on a. I mean, I don't want to trash any of the, any filmmakers out there, but I tried to watch like a. I was very pleased. There's a movie called You're Next by a guy named Adam Wangard, I think, and I, I know this was a low budget film, and it made it ended up making like 16 million dollars at the box office, which is amazing to me that a low budget film can do that. That's encouraging. But I tried mm-hmm. to watch it on Netflix the other night, and I couldn't get through it just because I felt 
I don't. I can't comment on the film because I didn't get through it. Like I didn't watch it all the way through, but I just felt like ah, I, I've seen this before, and it's not doing anything new. And maybe if I'd have waited until the end, I don't know. It didn't excite me. I, you know, for me, a movie like Summer of Blood, which if you don't know anything about the movie, and I'm not saying your next sucks. Summer of Blood is so much better. I'm the future of horror. There's a guy named Calvin Reader. There's a guy named Calvin Reader. I saw a movie at Sundance about three years ago. Um, by Calvin Reader. Uh, fucking A, what's the name of this movie now? I can't even remember the name of it. Hold on, I'm going to IMDb it right now as we're talking about this. Um, <laughs> this, movie was made, this movie was made for $7,000. Hold on, one. Mm-hmm. The Oregonian, that's the name of it. I didn't have to IMDb it. This movie was made for $7,000 on film. And seeing it in the theater, like, it was an incredible, like, surreal kind of experience. It was just like an onslaught of the senses. It was just this living hour and a half nightmare, and it was fucking. It was intense and insane. It was low budget at times. It was corny, and but it's also funny and sick and twisted. And Calvin Reader, to me, when I saw this movie, I thought this guy's like someone should needs to give this this guy a million dollars to make a film. It would be incredible. And you know, I think Calvin's respected, and I think he made a film since then called The Rambler, which I haven't seen. But like, I feel like. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's got to there's great horror out. There's got to be amazing, interesting, unique horror. My, the guy Jason Banker, who shot my film Summer of Blood, he made a really interesting kind of um, movie about drugs called Toad Road years ago. He just finished a new movie called Felt. He's doing these movies with very little money, and they're incredible. I feel like he, he's on to something new. And God, I am rambling so much now. The point is. Oh. With Summer of Blood, you watch this movie, you got 30 minutes of dialogue, and you don't know, it's a comedy, it's, it's, a, it's a comedy of errors, it's like, what the fuck is, I don't even know what comedy of errors means, by the way, so I apologize <laughs> for fucking saying that. Okay, so, it's a comedy, so we don't know where it's going, and then, like, you know, 30 minutes into the movie, boom, it becomes a vampire film. Like, I want to try to do something new with the, with the genre, to some degree, you know what I mean? And for me, horror and comedy go hand in hand, and I just, uh... Here's the short answer. I'm not clued in enough to horror to even be having this discussion weeks, and yet I've been running my fucking mouth about it, you know? I just, no, it's, just hard, it's just hard to, to be entertained by film, you know, anymore. Right. I saw a movie. It's so funny. I, saw, I, saw, I just went to Fantasia Fest, and I wish I had time to see more movies, but I did see a movie there that everybody, you know, it's been buzzed about since, I guess, in the last few months because it's supposed to be this really unique take on the the werewolf movie, which is it's called um, When Animals Dream. Mm-hmm. I think it's a Norwegian film about a young girl coming-of-age story about a woman who learns that she's cursed. She has her mother's curse of being a, a lycanthropy. She's a werewolf. And I'd heard so many great things about how good it is and how interesting, and it's a really interesting take on the werewolf mythology and the fact that it's dealing with female coming-of-age sexuality. You know, I was like, cool, there's going to be some really cool things that are being addressed here. But it became a movie that was more of a mood piece as opposed to having something really interesting to say. And, right. you know, it's got beautiful photography, and it's got really good understated performances by the lead actors. But at the end of the day, it's pretty boring, I thought. And the last, like, <laughs> act of the movie, the last 20 minutes of the movie takes place on a ship where this woman has become a werewolf and she's terrorizing all these people, and, like, it becomes, like, an action film, and it's not even that good. It's, like, not, it's trying to do, like, it's trying to be, like, really visually interesting. It's trying to become an action film, and it has... It's not giving us anything I haven't seen before. It's not even doing right. the action that well. And I don't even give a shit. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this, is what everybody, this is what everybody is saying is good horror? Like, people were comparing it to um, Let the Right One In, which I thought I think is a 
fucking brilliant movie. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's something new. That's something, they're doing something really, really new with the with the vampire film at that point. I love that movie so much. I saw the um, remake in, in theaters, and I enjoyed that as well. But mm-hmm. you know, I haven't seen like you know, I think Kimberly Pierce is a great filmmaker, but I haven't seen like the remake of Carrie because frankly, yeah. I don't think they should remake brilliant movies. They should remake. Shitty movie. Someone asked me, I was in an interview, a radio interview in, in France, and they said, hey, what movie would you remake if you had a chance to remake something? And I thought, you know, the first thing that popped in my head was American Werewolf in Paris, not right. London. You know what I mean? Because American Werewolf in London is, you can't touch that film. Why would right. anybody ever try to remake something brilliant? But American Werewolf in Paris is a fucking, it's a piece of shit. It's a terrible movie. And like, wow, what they could have done with that movie would have been incredible. You know what I mean? And I tell you, right. you know, this does, this gonna be, it does get on the idea if you compare American Wealth in Paris and American Wealth in London, what are the fundamental differences besides the fact that um, one of the big differences is, you know, CG versus latex. You know what I right. mean? Like, I mean, like the werewolf transformation scenes in American Wealth in Paris are, they're revolting. They're insulting. Um, I was having a conversation with, with, Mitch, with Mitch Davis, or, or I think it was Mitch Davis, in, in Fantasia in Montreal, and we're, we're discussing, like, the, I think it wasn't Mitch Davis, it was someone else, and I know his first name, but I don't remember his last name. And we're talking about the best werewolf sequences, transformation sequences, and, like, we, of course, we talked about American Werewolf in London, and we talked about the howling, but also, we also lamented the fact that there was the remake of the Long Chaney Universal movie, The Wolfman, with Guillermo, um, what's his name? It, it came out a few years ago. It was The uh, Wolfman, you know? Yeah. And who was the guy who played it? It had Anthony Hopkins, it had... Um, fucking Was that Benicio Del Toro in it? Yeah, Benicio Del Toro, right. And I was excited about seeing that because I'm a big fan of the first Wolfman. And then if you think about, they had, Rick Baker was like on that movie, right? Rick Baker yeah. was also the uh, makeup, guy, makeup guy for the movie Cursed, the Kevin Williamson movie Cursed. You know what I mean? Like, right. And if you think about, like, they did CG for a lot of those movies, which is like, how could they use Rick Baker and, like, go with CG? When it's right. Rick Baker, we have the latex now. I mean, but that brings up another thing, which is like the screen movies. The screen movies were more in the 90s. I really appreciated those movies. I appreciated how witty they were, how fresh they were at the time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin Williams, he, I haven't followed him since. But, like, you know, I mean, if we just if we talked about horror for a long time, there would be a lot of movies. You know, like any movie, I think there's still good horror films that come out there, but overall, because there's more horror films now than ever, there's more films than ever, you're going to have more shittier films, you know what I mean? Just because there's abundance of more stuff, you know? There's right. The, so, so anyway, but yeah, um, I, but, I, but I want to get into horror film way more now because I feel like for independent filmmakers, and I encourage my low-budget, I encourage my independent filmmaking colleagues, friends, my peers, to make genre films, but like make something that's never been done before, because it's like, or make something as as new as you can make it, because it feels like horror has been co-opted by, to me, people that aren't that clever or that interesting. They're just making schlocky, shitty films because they know they'll get sold, and they do get sold, yeah. and they do get out there. So it's like mm-hmm. I encourage the intelligent people that are doing challenging indie, edgy dramas or comedies to say, look, there's there's not a bi- there's no viability in that. There's no way to make money in that world. You can still be edgy. You can still say something interesting about the human condition or, or whatever the fuck you want to say, uh, relationships mm-hmm. or you know uh, anything you want. But like use use a horror metaphor. You use a horror context because there's there's a fan base for that, and we can reach a larger audience with our independent films if we tap into genre. So. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm doing it, and I only want to make genre films now, whether it's 
noir or whether it's uh, like a fight movie, like, you know, if, if, like a sci-fi movie or like, you know, you know, fight movies like Any Which Way But Loose, like the Clint Eastwood movies where, you know, there's a big fight at the end of the fucking movie. That's a genre film, you know what I mean? Like, right. I, I want to write comics that, you know, at the end of the day we get to know all these characters, but then it's all predicated upon the notion that there's going to be a big fight at the end of the movie because, like, that's just, to me, I love that. I love the Rocky movies. I love a movie called Three O'Clock High that was made in fucking late 80s, early 90s, which takes place in one school day. And at the end of the school day, this bully wants to fight the biggest nerd in the school. And, like, you're rooting for the nerd, but you know the bully's going to kick his ass. And see, it's cathartic and amazing. It's like the sports movie, the big football finale. That's a genre film. I mean, like, how do you make movies where there's a fan base for it that has independent film sensibilities and that are challenging or interesting and I think genre is the way to go for low-budget indie filmmakers. Um, mm-hmm. uh, anyway, I'm so, I, I appreciate you letting me ramble. I, I apologize uh, for doing so. <laughs> no, that, that was great. Um, so we are uh, fresh out of time. Uh, owner, uh, we've barely scratched the surface. We, I think I speak for both of us. This was a delight. We want you to come mm-hmm. back. Will you come back on the show? Of course, this has been an honor, and it's really nice to talk to both of you. And I appreciate you asking me to be on. Uh, and you know, you're you know you're in New York, Ryan, and so you're in you're in Vermont. Do you come to visit? You know, we all have a beer sometime week, so we'll all go. Yeah, definitely, drink. I would love that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, first, for you guys, luckily, I, I haven't had anything to drink tonight, so um, <laughs> I, I, it, it wasn't a disaster, I guess, that uh, you know that I was when I was on the Doug business. No, this is great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, and I had a great, a great time. I had so much fun. Thank you both. I appreciate it. I'll come on. Thank- of course, anytime. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome. And I just wanted to say before you go that I uh, I turned on Richard's Wedding on uh, Fandor last night, and I uh, uh, it was like midnight on a Tuesday night, and I was laughing out loud. It's very rare that I laugh out loud to whatever I'm um, falling asleep to, but I was laughing so hard <laughs> at the whole Ling Z thing and the, the girl <laughs> photographer thing. I was... Dying. It was hilarious. Yeah, there's a, there, you know, there's a lot of problems with Richard's Wedding, but I, what I'm really that was I, I made that movie to try to get my confidence back after the movie called The Pigs, and I took a five year hiatus. I came to New York to make movies again, and and I had such a great cast, and I had so much fun making that movie. And you know, there's problems with that movie, but at the end of the day, the cast really shines through on that movie, and I'm proud of it. And you know, we made that movie for ten thousand dollars too, which I think is uh, it should be inspiring wow. to anyone who wants to sure. make movies. It's like so that's what's exciting about the digital age now is that, yeah, you, more, there's more product out there. and There's more shittier films, and Richard's Wedding mm-hmm. might be one of those shittier films. But it does no. give people a chance to make movies that not, otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to. And I think that's what's really beautiful about the, you know, where we are with, with filmmaking right now. It's, any, it's an equalizer. Anyone can do it. There's no excuse not to do it if you've ever wanted uh-huh. to do it, you know? Right. So, but I appreciate you saying that very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. I I couldn't tell that there were flaws. I thought I, I thought it was great. I thought it was really funny. And uh, yeah, the the cast is very is a very good ensemble piece. And uh, I, it has a similar kind of your character anyway is a similar feel to it as Summer of Blood, where it's it's this uh, guy with no filter that is just very honest. And uh, I I I think I I identify with that. You know, it's the the Woody Allen, the Larry David, that sort of thing, and they, they're right. probably uh, influential on you, right? Oh, sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. I got I got to hang out with Larry Charles um, in Traverse City uh, about a couple of weeks ago, and oh, wow. I mean, it was it, he's such a just a sweetheart of a guy, and like it's just, it's almost like it's almost it's like unnerving how he, he just how 
present he is and how sweet he is. Like, I was blown mm. away. You know, Borat and Kirby Enthusiasm and Seinfeld, sure. like, all the things he's done. So, oh, yeah, I'm a fan of all that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm man. not an intellectual, but at the same time, when you take things that are mundane in your life and you can kind of exploit those things, expound on those things, you can take the most mundane thing and kind of rip on it. I've always been kind of a bullshitter, and I've always been very effusive. So, you know, those things give you permission to say, look, you can take anything and, and make it funny. Or take any, it doesn't matter what you do in your life. There's, this, there's, a, there's something you can take in your life and, and, and just run with it and, and it blow it up, and it could be amazing. And I think that's what those movies, what those shows do, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld, and, and that type of humor is allow you to take the mundane and make it, extraordinary or you know <laughs> to make fun of it to poke fun at it and everybody can latch on to it everybody can connect yeah. with that you know because you know it, yeah so yeah without a doubt you gentlemen, awesome. it's been it's been a real pleasure thanks so much thanks Thank owner. You. have a great night and we'll talk to you hopefully in, in just a matter of weeks sounds good yeah. talk to you guys soon yeah. bye-bye thank talk you much yeah. okay uh weeks uh how you doing yeah. over there sir good sir how are you I'm doing all right. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I've been waiting for that moment ever since I saw Summer of Blood. I'm glad it finally happened. I know. I can't believe. First of all, you know, you know, thank you and uh, congratulations on getting him on the show. I mean, uh, I just thought that was a wonderful interview. He's really bright, uh, modest, extremely honest, and I don't think you find that too often. I think that's just. Uh, you know, he's a gem in uh, the film industry, and I think he's got a lot to offer. And uh, yeah. Continues making a lot of movies, you know. Yeah, there's something about the the you you know I I try to have like a an eye out an ear out for unique people to to bring on the show and and right. uh, there's some of those people that you know will just be fantastic on a podcast and he's one of those you know so I just I knew before tonight that he would be just a, a delight to to listen to. Um, Although uh, garrulous at times, but but I enjoyed I enjoyed when he was uh, rambling on. I th- did you? I definitely did. I mean, he has a lot of information and a lot yeah. to say, and he's really he doesn't he doesn't he really does a good job. I don't think I've ever met anybody else of uh, keeping his bias out of what he says. I mean, he's very mm-hmm. uh, uh, keen on that, and uh, that's something that's refreshing, you know, because it's a. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of bias, and uh, I think he's sure. very open. And he's a—he uh, likes to, you know, he's, you know, straight in the line. He's a, he's a creator. He just likes to create things, and uh, that's what he likes to do. I think that's phenomenal. And uh, you know, kudos to you again because you you, you found him, and uh, you, you you know you knew you recognized that he'd be a phenomenal uh, guest on the show. And uh, good job, my friend. I appreciate well, it. Well, kudos to to Jason for eating the. I, I realized it was. Honey Nut Cheerios. It was not corn. Um, but kudos to him for, because uh, I was like, yeah, man, I looked up uh, your director's information on the uh, IMDb, and there was no contact info. And Jason was like, oh, I'll give you his email address. And he just showed it to me, and, and uh, it was no big deal. Um, and so, and owner was very, uh, you know, yes and. He was very, uh, let's let's do it. So, and then and then yeah. I mentioned to him, Tom Fogarty is going to be gone, so we need someone to fill in on these two segments. And despite the fact that he admitted he was nervous about it, he said, "Let's do it. Sounds good." You know. So, uh, so yeah. Um, uh, shout out to to Jason. Uh, now, weeks. Uh, what is your favorite scene? 
in uh, she's the uh, uh, give us a general synopsis of what your music style looks like if you can. It's like rock and roll. <laughs> generally. <laughs> she's a brain brain. Okay, my favorite scene and she's a main main, but you're made of fans. Maine is when a mind of fiends plays a doctor and uh you know, don't mean to get doom and gloom here, but uh called Hunter Patch Adams. Uh, Rest in peace, Robin Williams. Uh, I'm gonna do a terrible job at this, you know, but uh, I just think it needs to be done. But yeah. uh anyway, this is a quote by uh, from the movie uh, Patch Adams. All of life is coming home. Salesmen, secretaries, coal miners, beekeepers, sword swallowers, all of us. All the restless hearts of the world, all trying to find a way home. It's hard to describe what I felt like then. Picture yourself walking for days in the driving snow. You don't even know you're walking in circles. The heaviness of your legs and the drifts, your shouts disappearing into the wind. How small you can feel and how far away home can be. Home. The dictionary defines it as both a place of origin and a goal or a destination. And the storm? The storm was all in my mind. Or as the poet Dante put it, in the middle of the journey of my life, I found myself in a dark wood, for I lost the right path. Eventually, I would find the right path, but in the most unlikely of places. And that's my favorite scene. It's the main man, Mr. Bang, the bang, the bang. What's your uh, favorite scene? That's, you know what? That is that is my favorite scene, and she's the main man as well. I think, uh, <laughs> I think we'll end it there. Um, and uh, I can think of no better way of ending the show than by saying, if it ain't showbiz... It ain't a biz. Hit the brakes, Florence. And if you have a Barbie doll, what are you going to do with that thing? You're going to take her out of the night of town, kick Rush Limbaugh in the nuts, and go watch some Robin Williams films. Yeah. Agreed. Nanu, nanu, Weeks. <laughs> Not at night, sir. <laughs>